Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 215. If you like Wingspan, try out these other games. We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And Anthony, no lying, no fooling. It is April 1st, April Fool's Day. And just to make this podcast even wackier, a little more crazy, we're not going to do that stuff at all this year. Oh, thank God. <laughs> I'm sitting here like waiting for the, the shoe to drop and then having to like go with it, like a little <laughs> bit of improv. And I was like, I don't have the energy for this. I've been reading this crap all day. <laughs> Oh no, it's pandemic cereal. This must be real. Come on. It come on, Anthony. It's a virus in every spoonful. Ugh. Ugh. There were literally three different press releases today of somebody being like, We made a cereal. Why? Did they all like get together at a convention and they're saying, Hey guys, let's all do the same stupid April Fool's joke? <laughs> like, I think this offends you personally as a marketing professional more than anything else. Might. It's such a waste of resources. I know they're I know they're having fun. I know you guys are having fun. I appreciate that because you want to have fun with your job. I'm just tired of reading it. That's all. <laughs> yeah, it's literally every ad out there today is it may be April 1st, but and you're just like, I don't know if this is real. I mean, Think Geek always does something fun as far as their products are concerned, and sometimes But then they make it. Yeah, then they make the thing. <laughs> Or Blizzard. Blizzard was really known for that, too. They used to make these kind of really crazy characters and games, and they would make those every once in a while, too. So, yeah, there's been some crazy stuff out there, but it doesn't seem to be anything legit out there. But a lot of, as you mentioned, some kind of, quote unquote, kind of fun hijinks by the board gaming community out there. And for some reason, all based around cereal products. So that was the thing. So let's talk about something that is real and that is happening is our Patreon back contest, Anthony. So why don't you tell us where we're at this week? All right. Yep. Every week we give away a board game to somebody who's on our Patreon list. So all you got to do is hop on over to patreon.com slash BGA and back at the producer level or higher, you're automatically entered. You don't have to do anything. I already have your email address because you're on Patreon. No fooling, Anthony? No fooling. <laughs> That's true, right? That'd be funny if we're like, just kidding. No, it's <laughs> you are entered automatically. And we've already had now, I think, seven winners. This is the eighth week we're doing it. And last week, Amy won. Amy picked Root, which has been very popular among our, our winners. I think three or four out of the seven have picked Root already. And this week we have William. So William, I'm going to hit up today. After we get off this recording, I'm going to send him an email, let him know he's the winner, and he's going to get a brand new board game on the way here the next week from Game Surplus. Yeah, it's just something fun we like to do every week. And all you got to do to enter is become a Patreon backer. Very, very simple. All right. So please keep in contact with us on our social media. And as Anthony's mentioned, patreon.com slash BGA. There are extra episodes there that you can download and listen to. Obviously, our Slack group where we want to get in touch with you and engage and learn more about your board gaming habits and how we can make this podcast more enjoyable for you each and every week. And as we mentioned before, free games, because, you know, that's the thing we do each and every week. But Anthony, that's not all. Not only did we have our Patreon contest every week, but also we had our big March Gamer Madness bracket that just wrapped up and we have a winner, correct? We do. Yeah. So... 
yeah, we do like to do a Patreon contest every week because you guys are helping fund this show. But every two to three months or so, we're also going to have a, a big contest for everybody, literally everybody, listener or not, that we put out there. And so every March we do our Gamer Madness, where we run a bracket of 64 games from some type of thematic cluster. Uh, this year it was Historical Eras. And we ask you guys to submit your predictions so you get to go through all 63 matchups pick which ones you think we're going to win and whoever got the closest was the winner so this year's winner uh with by far the most points although not necessarily super duper close to the maximum amount of points but beat the the second runner up by about 150 points so just cleared everybody else out pretty solidly seems to have a good handle on what we like uh, what types of games we're going to pick. Um, that's Russ. So Russ DeLuca, congratulations. We've already reached out to Russ and he is getting a brand new copy of the Voyages of Marco Polo on its way to him. And that was one of the uh, featured games, moved its way up pretty high in our uh, medieval bracket. So congratulations to Russ and thank you to everybody else who participated. Always a lot of fun. One of our favorite sets of episodes every year. So stay tuned for our next contest probably coming up here in a couple months all right so that's what's going on with bga anthony let's get on to what our listeners are talking about what's our question of the week question of the week what's one game everyone should play at least once so not what's the best game but what what's a game that people should just experience to understand more about the hobby so a lot a lot of different answers here obviously everybody has different things they think are important timothy says he would probably go with talisman and if not a board game maybe just a card game he would say uno which i think it's not a bad choice either like it's a game that's gotten my kids into into games in a way that surprised me all of them so all the kids that play willie mentions chess yeah, uh, he specifically says every child should learn chess in school, and it's one of the simplest ways to learn the concept of planning and consequences. Martin says Stone Age. Rodney is giving me grief. Uh, he says Feudum. Specifically, I'm talking to you, Anthony. So <laughs> I'm on it. I'm going to do it. I promise. Um, we had several people mention Settlers of Catan. I think just as a piece of gaming history, it's a good one to start with. Adam says Munchkin. We have Jerry says Twilight Imperium, which is it's one I'd put up there. Not necessarily as like, this is represents the hobby, but more of a, this is like one of the echelons of the hobby. You have to play this at least once in your, you know, hobby life. Scott has a really thoughtful answer about freedom, the Underground Railroad, and how important it is and how it really represents everything in a historical setting in a way that almost no other board game does, which 100% agree with. Some other answers here, we have Seventh Continent, Power Grid. Seven Wonders, Castle Panic, and the dreaded Monopoly. Two people's mentioned that. So I don't know if they're trolling or not, but Monopoly's in there. Yeah, like I said, for me, like on the, the gamer gamer end, I'd say Twilight Imperium as like a introduction to gaming. I think Seven Wonders is a pretty good one. Just if you're only going to place one thing to get started, there's a lot of things going on there that kind of introduce you to different parts of the hobby. It's not necessarily a gateway, but it just kind of encompasses a lot of what we enjoy about what we do here. Yeah, there's a lot of games that were already mentioned. My first thought was Freedom the Underground Railroad because for so many reasons, it's so historically accurate for a board game. It's incredibly thematic and it really does emotionally affect you as you're playing the game. And it happens to be cubes. And there's some cards and there's a lot of artwork that comes to the game, but you do feel emotionally attached to what's going on and wanting to save 
as many of the slaves as possible. I think on the lighter side, Seven Wonders is a game that everyone should play at least once. Obviously, the historical elements to it, the drafting that is fantastic, the tableau building. It's just a really great, great game. I think I'll, I'll name a game that someone hasn't mentioned yet, and I would say Agricola for a couple of reasons. I mean, the idea of this sub- substantial kind of farming effort that's being made in the game that is so thematic, the idea of building up this farm, not just to feed your people, so to speak, but actually thematically plowing the land, planting the vegetables and the wheat, growing those vegetables, you know, harvesting, breeding the animals and employing different occupations and trades from that time really gives you a feel of what families were going through every day. And every day was all about trying to survive. Great question. Love those games. All right, Anthony. So that's what our listeners are talking about. Let's get on to the games that we want to get to the table. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders. So what do you have for us this week? You and I talked about this a little bit last week, uh, but it didn't come up in the podcast because I was talking about something else. That is the Lorenzo Il Magnifico app and the Potsy Conspiracy physical expansion deck. So there's two things here. This is a, on Kickstarter right now. So it's up for another 10 days or so. So about a week from when you guys are listening to this. And I, I kind of have to split it in half because the app, it's Steam only, which means I won't play it because <laughs> all the Steam only games I have, I just don't sure. play. It's just not going to happen. The UI, I don't know what they're doing here. It doesn't look anything like the board game. No, it <laughs> like, does not. It's all these weird things that they did. I'm not a fan of what I'm seeing here. I love this game. I was excited to see it was getting an app, but I just, after trying to struggle my way through terraforming Mars and castles of Burgundy and just the kind of funky looking way they implemented those. I don't know. I don't, I don't think I'll probably play this all that much. I'm going to get it though. And the reason why I'm going to get it, and I'm sure this is the reason why they did this is that they included a physical deck of cards. So it is 24 new cards with, up to quote unquote 24 additional kickstarter exclusive cards and these cards will bring in all sorts of new ideas and mechanics but mostly it just gives some variability into the different acts that you have like right now you use all the cards Mm -hmm. so every game you're going to see every single card now you have some variability which i think was always one of those things i was hoping they would do now did I hope they would lock it behind a bunch of stuff on Kickstarter and make me buy an app? No, but <laughs> and they they do say they're going to sell it separately, but then there's at least Kickstarter only cards in here that of course I want those too. Um so yeah, I'm going to get this. It's more replayability. There's some more stuff in here for like player interaction. There's, you know, additional promos that they're throwing in here. So, I'm I'm excited about that part of it. I'm not a huge, huge fan of physical rewards with an app. Like I complained about this with the blood rage thing last year. Just, just sell me the stuff. I don't want the app, but <laughs> it's, here we are. I'm getting the app and uh, yeah, I'm excited for the new cards. You know, I'm always been a big PC gamer. So there has always been that talk that PC gaming was dead and that the consoles were going to rule And PC gaming has stuck around mainly because Steam has been such a phenomenon throughout the ages, so to speak. And yet at the same time, I never look towards, you know, playing a board game on Steam. I look to my phone. I look to my iPad. I look to any number of the different applications and websites that are out there. Steam does have Tabletop Simulator. It has Tabletopia. It has a number of other things 
it just never seems to be the right kind of situation for me. I'm happy that this is here. I'm still a Steam fan, so I'm happy that there is an implementation of this out there. It does look really, really strange and different than the board game. I understand why they did that. I don't like it, though, to be honest with you. I do like the effort and I think the mechanics that they put into how the board actually physically works, works well. And this seems to be something that may be abstracted to the point of being somewhat unplayable, at least what I can tell from the video. As far as the cards are concerned, I've always been the biggest advocate of wanting to have more cards than are used in a game because if every card is going to come out in the game, at some point you could lock down a strategy even before playing the game. And I just don't find that to be fun. I'm glad about that. I think there are a lot of cards in this upcoming expansion here that are take that kind of cards, which I got to be honest, I don't like yeah. in a Euro game just because it just it's it's either something that someone's not going to use because it's like, hey, I stopped you from producing. All right. But do you know exactly how many points that that actually is going to keep me from getting compared to if you took a card, how many points you would get there? No, but it's a take that card to there. I'm just like, all right, well, now I don't get to do anything that's that's fun. So I, I'm, I'm going to like lose half a turn. So I don't like that. I hope you got some joy out of it, which you probably didn't and may or may not have helped you with the game. So I'm a little down on that. It just it's just not what I like to see in this type of game. It just it just never plays well. And I don't think it's going to play well here. But as you mentioned, I'm most likely going to back this just because it's more cards for a game that I like a lot. And, you know, it's uh, Lorenzo. So why not? Right. Yeah, exactly. That's where I'm at. Is it a buy? Yeah, sure. I guess it's a back. Whatever. You do. I don't have a choice. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's also one of the things we talked about offline, too, which is board gaming in general has just gotten exponentially more expensive due to Kickstarter some of that is okay because it allows games to get out there that normally wouldn't get out there. And some of that's not okay because then it becomes, you know, just prohibitive as, as far as cost is concerned. So if you are interested in the extra expansions for Lorenzo or the digital version, that will wrap up on Saturday, April 13th. So you don't have much time by the time this podcast wraps up. So check that out. And Anthony, I want to talk to you about another Kickstarter that is currently out there that you might be interested in. This is Oceans, a standalone game in the Evolution series. Now, this is by Northstar Games, and you probably know the Evolution series because it's been out there for quite some time. They even have a version of it. Uh, I think it's Evolution the Beginning that's in Target. It's kind of like a simplified version of evolution and evolution is basically all about taking these creatures from all these different prehistoric times and then choosing different traits to kind of upgrade them you increase their size you increase their population if they're plant eaters they're going to be eating plants to score points if they're carnivores they're going to eat other plant eaters or other carnivores based upon size it's a really interesting dynamic game it has some take that elements but it really works well here the game tries to be more or less scientifically accurate here. It has some really interesting kind of like watercolored paintings by Catherine Hamilton, which works well for this type of game. Now, for Oceans, you're going to see something slightly different, uh, I guess a different take on evolution. And obviously, it's all about the ocean and all the different ocean creatures. 
And instead of just a standard kind of playing the cards and building up your population, which you will still do, they're also going to be all about the different food that's available and how these different kind of global effects come into play that are just going to open the game up to different plays experiences. So you are going to have your initial kind of animal that's going to be here. You're going to add different elements to it as far as, let's say, tentacled or inking or kind of grouping together. So just more of the same as far as evolution is concerned. And then they also have, I guess, a whole second part of the game called the deep. And that's going to add all these really interesting characteristics and creatures from the deep trenches. So you're going to have illumination and just really interesting prehistoric mammals and fish and such. So if you like evolution or if you're interested in the oceans and want to play a game that has some scientific accuracy to it, but a lot of fun to it and might be in the light, medium weight, Oceans, a standalone game in the Evolution series will wrap up on Saturday, April 27th. You could pick up a basic version for $45 and the deluxe versions for $70. And that's where you're going to get all the really nice fish tokens. I ne- I still have yet to get really get into this series of games. I don't know why. It seems like something I should like and would like. I just just have not really played Evolution much at all. And so this has like almost no interest for me whatsoever, (laughs) even though I'm sure I'd like it. All right, so let's get on to the games that actually hit the table this week. We are talking about BGA at the table, Anthony. So what did you get a chance to get to the table this week? Yes, so I got a chance to play the Stone Age Anniversary Edition, which for all intents and purposes is the same as the Stone Age we've been playing for 10 years. So (laughs) the if you haven't played Stone Age, it's one of the seminal worker placement games, you have this little clan of workers that you place in various places to generate food or upgrade your tools or um, increase your ability to produce food or reproduce or gather one of these many different goods. You can put your guys out in just groupings. So you don't have to just put one worker at a time. You could be like, I'm going to put four guys on the wood because I really need some wood, which means you get to roll a bunch of dice. You get to roll a four dice and divide by the number that goes with that particular location and get that much wood. So it's kind of cool that way. It's not just like one for one, like some of the more basic worker placement games that came before it, but it is still fairly simple and a little dice reliant. You score points in the end by trading in goods for these different buildings that are available, as well as these cards that you can produce. Some of them give you end, end game points. Other ones just have different icons on them. You're collecting sets. It's all pretty basic stuff. The game is fairly simple to learn and teach all the good stuff. So you guys probably already know Stone Age, right? Um, The Anniversary Edition is a new, not not even that new, because most of the stuff in the box is the same, but you can flip the board over and now you have the winter version. And so the artwork's all different. It's all, you know, wintry. Uh, The player boards are different too. You can flip those over. There are new building types as well. You flip those over. The cards are the same. (laughs) That's the one thing that doesn't change. And the food's the same. And the other stuff is, of course, the same. The difference here in the the winter version is that you end up paying additional resources for some things. Uh, It's a little bit more expensive to get some of these buildings. Like the cards, for example, you have the option to pay like extra gold and you get an extra benefit from doing that. It's fine. I mean, it's a little bit tougher. I mean, it's the point of it. It's winter. So, of course, it's harder to hunt and gather uh, in the middle of winter. It 
doesn't do a ton though to change the game this is really just for people who want a small tweak to a game they've played 50 times and the reason i know that is because this is 80 dollars, and so the only people who would buy this are people who've played this game 50 to 100 times and really really like stone age or have never been able to find a copy because it's almost always out of print it also comes with a couple of small expansions some additional like wild animal type things it's it, nothing huge or game breaking but little things you could kind of throw in there um, like a side stack of buildings their igloos uh, that you can build as well that go with the winter version so nothing game changing here it doesn't come with the other big box expansions for this game or any of the small ones which i think is silly if you're going to charge 80 bucks for a game and that's supposed to be like anniversary big deluxe kind of version of it but you do get a new board you get some new stuff a couple of small expansions you get a very shiny cover <laughs> on the box stone age stone age in general is a buy i don't think you should spend 80 dollars on this unless you can get it for less or just can't find it otherwise but in general it's a good game that deserves a place in the collection if you're looking for like a entry-level gateway-ish uh, worker placement game this version though as with all things Asmodee touches, you're like, whew, that's expensive. So that's, you know, caveats all around. Yeah, I remember this coming out. I was really excited about this because I hadn't had enough plays this game to really know if I wanted to put that much money into this game. But it was such a classic game. In fact, my sister played this at a meetup one day and she doesn't play a lot of kind of Euro games. And she just kept coming back to it. She's like, I really like that game. I'm like, well, I definitely got to pick up a copy of it. And then it went out of print for a while and it was in and out. It was really hard to find. And this Uber so-called version came out. And I was like, oh, definitely got to get a chance to play that and really want to get that game to the table. And it's super, super expensive. And I'm like, that's really weird. That was a gateway game that, you know, other than the fact of it being out of print, it really is, there really isn't any reason why the game should be that expensive for what it is. And yet it was. So... Ugh, yeah. you're killing me, man. <laughs> I know, no, it's it's ridiculous. Like, I played it and I was like, oh, no, I've been meaning to pick this yeah. game up. I should get this. And I'm like, ugh, no, I'm not getting this. <laughs> like, crazy. And the thing is, too, like, to be fair to Z-Man, the component quality here is good. You have, you know, dozens of little cavemen meeples, and they are all silk screen. Like, they have the character drawings on them. The the resources are all, you know, chunky and, and they look feel good. Everything's solid and thick and everything. You get that dice cup, which some people love, some people don't. This one doesn't smell funny, so that's good. I know some of the older editions of the game, it smelled funny. But it's just, and so like you compare that to what like Eggertspiel is doing with like a, a Blackout Hong Kong or a Heaven and Ale where they're charging 70 or 80 bucks. And you're like, well, this is better than that. But nothing should cost that much. So it's just, they're trying to raise the bar on us of expectations. Like, no, 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 back up a step. It is. too much money so yeah it's a shame i wish it was a little bit cheaper it would be an easy recommendation if it was 60 like the other mm -hmm. like the base game was and i just i don't know why they did this they didn't put enough extra in the box to warrant an extra yeah game. i've had this argument with a lot of my friends at game night because there is a certain barrier of entry and when it comes to a board game in comparison to a movie when you go to a movie you know what you're going to get as far as that type of experience when you're playing a board game it's a different type of experience you're going to have with people at the at the table and actually the mechanics that come into play. So when you have something that is a gateway game that's built to be a gateway game, it should somehow have a gateway price to it. Unless 
uh, unless it's one of those kind of like it's been out for 50 years and they want to do some uber version and like dip everything in gold but beyond that a gateway game should have a gateway price and 40 to maybe 60 dollars is as at most what i think a game would be like that because when it's going to come out and it's going to be 80 dollars your traditional gateway fan or your new person to the hobby is not going to drop $80 on a gateway game and they're going to miss out on a great game. And it's really, really a shame. And I just, it's, it's a, a bit of a problem with the industry here. Yeah, no, I mean, and this game is totally like the shiny cover, the 10th anniversary. It's totally for people who know this game and have had it for 10 years and like it. It's just how many of those people are there? Maybe there's more than I realize. I don't know. This is not a game I had played very much before, but I don't know. It's, it's hard to see what the audience here is. And how they justify that. Not that it's that egregious compared to other companies. It's just, I guess I'm just disappointed. That's all. I wanted to pick it up and I won't. So there you go. Let's talk about another game that has gone above and beyond as far as the price point is concerned. And in some ways, the components. This is Heroes of Land, Air, and Sea. Now, I should preface this review by saying I've only had the opportunity to play the game once. And I will explain why in a bit, but one of our Patreon backers has insisted that I review the game. Typically, I like to get the game to the table multiple times, and I do want to get this game to the table at least one more time just so that I can double check how I feel about it. But I want to give you an initial review of the game. Heroes of Land, Air, and Sea is another game, and in this case, the big game from Gameland Games and from designer Scott Alms. Now, this game initially when it first came out, I think I talked about this on our acquisition disorder. I was very, very much drawn to it because they talked about this game in respects of being a real-time strategy game. Now, if you have not played an online video game that was a real-time strategy game or an RTS, basically those games are all about harvesting resources from the lands around you and then building up you know, military forces, and then doing the old 4X thing where you're exploring, you're expanding, you're exterminating and such. And you're doing this in order to score the most points possible when it comes to the board game. In the video game version, it's all about knocking out the other players. We're looking at fantasy races. So you have your orcs, you have your elves, you have your dwarves and your humans. And the recent Kickstarter also had air race and they also had an ocean race and there was just and there was also mercenary race and there was also mercenaries you could add to your own deck and it came with so many expansions. It was really exciting to see. Now, I play a lot of the Gameland games and they're okay. My number one complaint is they keep trying to go with this kind of really small version of their games and sometimes it just does not work and it just it kind of ruins the game in some respects here you have a big box version of the game and yet when i'm going to talk about the components you can see how there's actually some problems with the game so the game set up and there's a lot of information here but i'm going to try to shrink it down a little bit so basically you have a race and your race plays somewhat asymmetrical so for example i had the orcs in the game so some of their special abilities were more on the aggressive side and for example, the dwarves were obviously more on the builder side. So it, it follows those tropes. So in playing a four-player map, you're going to have four different islands. You're going to start on one island. And then you're going to have your base of operations. And you're going to have your initial peasants. And the peasants are there to kind of get resources for you. You're going to have your warriors. And then you're going to have your heroes, which you'll have the opportunity to upgrade as the game goes on. Now, the mechanics for the game are pretty basic. 
you're basically going to have two tokens that are going to allow you to take actions on your action board. And there are going to be a set of four actions on the left of the board, which if you choose to take one of those actions, somebody else can follow you by using one of their peasants. So there's a recruit action that'll let you recruit people, whether it's a peasant, a warrior, or a hero. You can build structures. So you could build towers and such. And sometimes you can also build you can also build aircrafts or ocean crafts. There is a research action which will allow you to get more spells, and there'll be a tax action which will allow you to get one of the three resources in the game. So those resources are basically ore, food, and and man, I believe. Now, on the right side of the board, there are five actions. Now, those actions are just for you. So if you take one of those actions, nobody can follow you. And those actions are two march actions, a sail action, a fly action, and a cast action. So these are your kind of military actions in the game. So you will choose on your turn one of those actions, and then you will take the appropriate action that's listed on the game board. Based upon how far you've built up your capital, so to speak, you will have extra abilities that kind of unlock. So throughout the game, you're trying to build up your capital because it's going to unlock all these special abilities. Then it goes to the next player, and the next player can follow if they choose to do so, and so on and so forth. So by the time it comes back around to you, it's the next player's turn, and they can take their action, then everyone else can follow you. Now, if you follow me, this is actually going to take a very long time. Now, the artwork is okay. It's not particularly my style, but I was really interested in the game. And you've seen this artwork previously in a lot of the Gameland games dealing with their fantasy kind of elements to it. The graphic design is nice, but the board itself is really the big problem of the game because it actually, even though this is a big box game, the board is pretty small. So you get this four small islands if you're playing a four-player game here. And each of the regions are important because they have a different color that represents what resource it's going to produce or not produce at all. And your figures are rather large. So in some cases, your figures, your towers, and your machinery that you can bring into the game will actually kind of block up and you know hide how many units are there, what kind of resources can be taken from that land. And there are also these kind of explore tokens in the game. So sometimes you won't even be able to see those. Now, the explore tokens is one of the opportunities to actually end the game. So throughout the game, you're exploring the lands, you flip the token over. Sometimes it's good, you get some stuff. Sometimes it's bad, and you get messed up a little bit. It's a random element to the game. I don't mind it. But when you add that into a board that doesn't have, I would say, and obviously this is a fantasy board game, but doesn't have realistic movement situations. So if you're looking for a traditional 4X game or real-time strategy game, typically the movement is something that's very important. How can I move over there? Are there choke points, a natural uh, geography that's getting in the way? Do I really need a air vehicle or water vehicle at this point? In this game, there are so many spells that can teleport you throughout the game. There are so many ways to travel to almost any area of the board, even if you don't have those spells just by these different routes on the board, that no area on the board is safe. There's no area to kind of build up and kind of, you know, defend. Everything's open throughout the game to pretty much everyone with, you know, very little cost. So the components, the board state... The asymmetrical powers are okay for the individual races. I kind of like that. The spells are really wacky, so someone could get a spell, and if you don't get a counter spell, they're just spamming that spell throughout the game, getting victory points. So, in all, Heroes of Land 
air and sea was an interesting experience. And, you know, if you look at the game, it says something between two and three hours. It took four players. I was new. There was another player that was new. There was another player that had gone through the videos who knew the game. And then obviously our teacher who had played the game multiple times. It took six hours to play this game. Now, primarily, that was for two reasons. One was to follow action. So if you take an action, everyone could take an action and follow you. And also, when you got into a battle, you had these battle cards that had a, a somewhat of a rock, paper, scissor element to it where I play this card and you could play a card to counter it. So now I'm looking at the cards in my hand and I'm like, well, he might defend. So maybe I want to attack here. Or maybe I want to retreat. And you spend a lot of time trying to figure out which card is best to play. Spells come in, are involved. It takes a very long time. So even though it's one play, the follow mechanic, the military mechanic is really going to take up a large chunk of your time. I don't care what anyone says. I played way too many board games, way too many 4X games, way too many RTSs. This game time is insane. So for Heroes of Land, Air and Sea, it gets a dodge. I'm really disappointed. This was something I was going to back on Kickstarter. I'm kind of relieved because now I could play something that's a lot better than this in a different format. And uh, yeah, six hour game not 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 the best not the best gaming situation. That is so long, <laughs> so bad. <laughs> And it's so expensive too. Like you get all the stuff, like base game even, just 150. And like, oh wait, there's more boxes. You could spend like 400 dollars on this game. I guess if you're gonna play a six hour game repeatedly, you might as well spend 400 dollars on it. You have some cardboard components to it, which kind of are really wobbly and fall apart. They're miss size as far as the board's concerned. The figures look almost identical. So you're like, hey, is that guy over there a peasant or are they a warrior? Because it's really hard for me to tell. So it's a game that could have been great and had the bones to be great, but it needed somebody to come in and edit the game down a lot. All right, Anthony, so that's the games that have been hitting our table, and in some cases, for a very long time. Let's talk about our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we're going to be talking about Wingspan, one of the most popular games out there, a board game geek, burning up the top 100 so fast it's kind of hard to remember where it is at this particular moment to the next currently it stands at number 80 in the top 100 and i think that's not where it's going to finally land i think it's going to soar up much much further so anthony you've had an opportunity to play the game why don't you tell us about wingspan yeah yeah i talked about it a little bit last week in my review basic idea of the game though is you have hand of cards and some food that you're going to gather from these dice that are rolled periodically. And what you're trying to do is place them out in your aviary tableau, which has three different rows in it. And every time you play a bird into the tableau, except for the first one uh, in each of those rows, you have to pay a certain number of eggs as well as the food that's printed on the card. And you place your bird out, right? There is space in each of those rows for five birds. And you will be then be able to take the action of that row and activate the birds. So the first row is to get more food, the second one is to get more eggs, and the third one is to get more cards. And when you activate the row, you're going to work backwards from the far right all the way to the beginning and just do each of the things each of those birds does. Some of them don't have anything that will activate at this time. Maybe they have when played abilities. Other ones have, you know, um, when someone else does a thing abilities. But anything with a brown label on it 
it will activate and you work your way backwards and you get to do all those things. So you're trying to build an engine is what you're trying to do and have the most efficient tableau possible so that when you do certain things, you get the food you need, you get the eggs you need, you get the points, of course, that you need to win the game. And it flows very smoothly. If four rounds, you have a decreasing number of actions over time because you're going to lose one action per round. Ultimately, you're trying to get a nice diversity of birds and enough eggs and some of these other things that work towards bonus cards you have to ultimately win the game. So we want to look at a few of these different ideas, but mainly this engine building and card triggering mechanic, as well as the whole idea of just being able to do cool things with a tableau in front of you. All right, Anthony. So we are going to talk about six games that if you like Wingspan, you should try out. So why don't you start us off? Yes, I'm going to start out on the lighter end here with Space Base. We talked about kind of before putting this episode together, Machi Koro. And then, of course, I said, well, Space Base is a better version of that. So <laughs> that's how it's on the list here. In this game, you have a tableau in front of you. You actually start with a full tableau of 12 ships, or I guess 11 ships, one for each of the possible die rolls of two D6s. And over the course of the game, you are going to gather different resources based on what's rolled. So when you roll, you get to take both of the dice or them combined when somebody else rolls you can take the bonus of any ships that you've retired meaning you've replaced them and moved them above your board upside down and now in the little red space at the top you get to do that thing so it's this constantly evolving building engine that gives you new stuff as the game kind of progresses and you kind of have to very carefully determine where you want to place things and how you want to build on it a lot more luck, of course, you're relying on dice than like a wingspan, but a lot of fun, very easy to teach and highly replayable. That's space base. Well, on the lighter side for me, a game that I really enjoy that reminds me of wingspan is Majesty for the Realm. Now, what's interesting here is that you start off with this tableau of these different buildings from this medieval era where you have a mill, a brewery, a cottage, a guardhouse, barracks, inn, castle and infirmary. Now, what's going to move and activate the different buildings is a market row of cards that are going to relate to the different buildings. So you might have an opportunity to be able to get a knight or a queen or a miller. And then when you take that card, you're going to be able to put it in your tableau underneath the right building. It's going to activate that building and you're going to gain a special ability from that building based upon how many cards are listed there. It also offers a lot of different diversity as far as gameplay is concerned because the buildings flip over and they have different abilities that go into the game. And you can play a lot of different strategies. There's not just one strategy for this game. The artwork is bright and colorful and fun. Pretty much anybody can play. It's a great, great gateway game. But even if you are a hardcore, you know, crunchy Euro gamer, this is a lot to enjoy for this game. And that's Majesty for the Realm. All right, next up for me is London. This is a Martin Wallace game, um, recently redone in a second edition by Osprey Games, which is, in my opinion, a far superior edition of this game. So definitely track that one down. In the game, you are building a tableau to represent your city. So your part of London, grabbing different cards from the central board and playing them out to kind of build out your tableau. And each slot has its own kind of value because when you activate your city which you'll do all at once when you choose to do it it will generate the things on the card but it might also generate poverty 
which can in turn lose you points by the end of the game. So you have to balance that very carefully. The game also has these various different location cards you can pick up. They're larger tarot sized cards that give you special bonuses, but again, might also generate additional poverty depending on which ones you get. And so it's this very careful balancing act of the money you have, the poverty you've accumulated, and the various cards that you're trying to trigger and to generate not only resources with, but ultimately prestige to win the game. It is a Martin Wallace game, so there are loans, of course, not something you'd see in Wingspan, but it does remind me a lot of kind of the idea of having this tableau, very carefully managing the tableau, and then triggering it at the right time to to build a certain um, flow of goods and ideally positive cash flow for your city. So that's London. Well, another great game in the medium weight, if you're looking at Wingspan, is Coimbra. Coimbra is all about the scholarly city in Portugal, but the mechanics play very similar to Wingspan in that you're going to have a marketplace of cards and there are also going to be dice involved in the game. You will choose a die from the pool and then based upon where you place it in Coimbra, you'll have an opportunity to purchase a card from the available market of cards that are listed there. Now, what's really interesting is the dice play in this game because based upon the color and based upon the pip number, there's not only going to be a price, but it's also going to show what cards you're going to be able to pick up from that particular row. Once you take the card, that's where the tableau building really comes into play because your own player board, which is going to show off the different resources that you're going to have to be able to take in order to activate and purchase the cards, are going to allow you to play the cards based upon their different symbology. So you might have a card that has an instantaneous effect. You might have a card that places in a C phase. When you place the dice, they're going to come into play. You might have a card that activates in the E phase. So when you're actually getting your resources, that's when they come into play. And then finally, there is a final round card that's going to score you a ton of points based upon how you built up your tableau. And as I mentioned earlier, the color of the die comes into play yet again because it's going to activate certain cards in the E phase of the game. So this is a fantastic and beautiful game. If you haven't got a chance to play this, you should absolutely try out Coimbra. All right, and my last one is a game I already talked about with this expansion on Kickstarter, and that's Lorenzo Il Magnifico. I mean, it's got a lot going on, of course. You are using these kind of shared dice in the center of the board and determining the values with which you can purchase different cards. But at the end of the day, you're building a tableau of different types of cards that will trigger based on different things you do, but all need to work together. So you have your yellow cards up at the top that kind of generate you money as well as kind of managing the resources that come in and go out. You have the green cards, which are just going to generate you resources. You have your purple cards, which are mostly end game points, and then your blue cards, which can generally affect anything. Honestly, they can make certain things cheaper and other things more expensive and move things around and trigger other things to happen more frequently. So it's this careful balancing act of making sure you have the right levels on the Vatican track, as well as your your military strength to put the right cards out, not lose the bonuses that you're going to get towards the end of the game, all the while making sure you have just enough money to buy the cards you need to keep growing your tableau. And of course, turning on your tableau, which is a separate action. It's a lot heavier. It's a lot thinkier. There's a lot more going on. It's much, much tighter and the interaction is much higher than Wingspan. But if you like Wingspan and want something heavier that does more for you, or if you just have a bigger gaming group with hardcore gamers, this is definitely one worth checking out. That's Lorenzo Il Magnifico. And finally, I actually have a family of games that actually range from the very light 
to the more complex. So this whole family is a family of games that I talked about earlier. It's called Evolution. Now, Evolution's really fantastic because what you're doing here is you're taking your different animal species, you're adding traits, you're raising population, you're growing its size, and then you're dealing with the different elements and the different predators of that age. Now, you can play the very simple version of this, Evolution in the Beginning. You can pick that up at any big box store. You can play the standard version, which is Evolution, and it also has its expansion flight. So if you are hardcore into birds, that would be a fantastic way to go. I would recommend Evolution Climate because it adds in this really nice global element in which not only are you dealing with other species out there, but here you're also dealing with the climate and the effects that come into the game. And the effects are random, but the colder it is is going to help or hurt some creatures, and the hotter it is is going to obviously help or hurt. And you have an opportunity to manipulate certain things and try to deal with the global element. So it really kind of zeroes in on what different animal species are dealing with in the climate. All right, so there are six great games. If you like Wingspan, you should check these games out. Each of them offers a fantastic experience. All right, Anthony, so that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. Hey, this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at the table. member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com.